the people that are really, really good on the shop floor as, you know, machine operators, they're asked to do the same thing over and over again in many cases, particularly in some of the more technical roles. But you need people that can do that. And sometimes they get uncomfortable when I'm asking, well, can we figure out how we can do it better, faster, smarter? And that makes them uncomfortable. And they express that to me from time to time. And I say, well, listen, the day that I'm not asking you to figure out how we can do it better, faster, smarter is the day you ought to be worried because that's when the business starts to decline. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. Today's guest on the show is Mike Reeder, owner and president of Precision Plus, a CNC turning company in Elkhorn, Wisconsin. Mike came into the machining business at 31 years old, following a career in the fast-paced finance industry. When he first arrived, the company was using old-school Tornos Cam Swiss machines and running a lot of commodity-type parts. Over the years, Mike has built a world-class machining company, diversifying the company's product lines with the help of newer technology. All the while, his original Cam Swiss machines still keep spitting out parts. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I am very honored to have Mike Reeder, president and owner of Precision Plus. Welcome to the show, Mike. It's really good to have you. Well, thank you, Noah. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Yeah, I've been uh, asking Mike at least once to be on the show about a year ago. I knew he was important to be on the show as he's got a very successful company and interesting story and yeah, always looking for interesting people in our business. So finally, for this season for Swiss, he agreed and it's working perfectly. So first, I just want to ask you to describe briefly what Precision Plus makes. And then we're going to get a little background on you and the company and uh, delve into all kinds of things. Yeah, what is Precision Plus? So Precision Plus is uh, nearly 100 manufacturing professionals aligned with the mission of serving our customers first. We do a great job for them. Uh, good things will come to us. And so we have 30 CNC Swiss machines, about 40 of the older uh, mechanical Tornos Swiss-made single spindle machines that are still a great solution in the right application. Uh, we also complement that with some larger Miano single double and triple turret CNC lathes, turret lathes uh, for some of the larger parts. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we focus predominantly in the medical slash dental area. We do uh, aerospace. Uh, and then there's the whole industrial complex, which spans all kinds of different things, hydraulic, pneumatic, fluid handling, thermal management, 
rent, all that type of stuff. Oh, it sounds like you have some good diversification. And that's exactly what has really helped us succeed over the years is counter-cyclical industries in many cases balance out the ups and downs of some of that. Uh, noticeably absent from my description was automotive. Ah, That's a tough ride for a lot of people and those that are in it know it. We've purposely chosen to steer clear of that. It's a tough space and I, I like to do business with like-minded people that recognize that it's it's a two-way street and it's got to be a win for both sides as opposed to what I've experienced in my earlier years with the automotive group. Ah, interesting. Okay. So now, you know, I, I know that you've had somewhat of a a journey to get to where you are today. And a lot of people's life has a, a lot of interesting twists and turns to lead them to where they are. You're what, 56? Is that? 56. Yep. 56. Okay. Closing in on 57, but we'll not talk about that. <laughs> All right. Let's rewind back maybe about half your age or a little more. You're in high school. Were you into machining? Were you into mechanical stuff? I was a kid in the garage trying to figure out how to make the go-kart go faster. I'm a a bit of an adrenaline guy, and uh, speed is always uh, more fun than a leisurely journey most of the time. And so uh, in high school, I was the guy in the tech ed side of the building, did a lot of drafting classes, metals classes. Where where were you? In Delavan, Wisconsin? Delavan, Wisconsin. Very good. Delvin, Wisconsin. So I was in the in the auto tech lab, but I also did reasonably well in math and science. You know, my guidance counselors, when I was there, junior, senior years, and I asked them, you know, hey, do you have any ideas? Because I don't have an idea. Uh, they just said, you know, go to school, get an education, anything, uh, and you'll figure it out along the way. And uh, so I went to UW-Madison, and I know that uh, you did as well. Yes. Uh, great institution of learning and uh, both inside the classroom and out. It was a good decision, you're saying. It was. It was. Good advice. You know, if I had a chance to rewind, I might have done something different. But uh, what I discovered later on in life after I came into the machining world is I really enjoy it. I really do. And it takes some brilliant people to do some of the things that uh, we do in our building and, and a lot of the PMPA membership does across the country. Yeah. And we're all suffering from a lack of people, skilled people. All right. Well, we're, we're going to get to that. Okay. You know, we've, we've talked about your background quite a bit. I want to get a little bit more insight into that. You went to Madison. You did not take the path of machining company entrepreneur. Um, that was not your first thing you did. You went into finance. I got a economics degree with an emphasis in finance and then took a leap of faith going to the board of trade in, in Chicago. Uh, in the mercantile exchange, getting into the commodity futures business. Started out on the floor as a runner, making very, very little money and worked my way up where I was running the operations for Bank of America and the clearing operation. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Fast-paced environment, worked with some great people, some great leaders, and uh, the people around me were young and hungry and aggressive. And uh, we've worked hard and we played hard. Right. So you were around a lot of type A personalities. Yeah, a lot. Give me a little description of these type of people and, and yourself in this time, in this group. You know, always uh, not settling for okay, always seeking uh, something better. The adre- adrenaline rush that comes with some of that, it's a high-risk environment and fast-paced. Again, people that are very, very competitive and want to win. Yeah. So I want to continue the story of how you got into it, but let's just deviate for a second. 
in a shop, do you see these exact same qualities as key to being successful? I mean, how does the mentality of somebody working in fast-paced finance contrast with someone working in a shop? And I know working in a shop can mean a whole lot of different things. You could be a machinist yeah. or you could be a setup person and it, and it depends what kind of shop. I'll pivot just a little bit. Uh, we use a personality assessment tool uh -huh. called Predictive Index to help us understand how people are wired, what gives them energy, and what sucks energy from them. And at the end of the day, you need an organization that has a balanced mix of people that are in the right spot. Uh, and if you put people in the wrong spot, they can be successful for a short period of time, but typically uh, it wears them down and they are no longer successful. So we try to put the right people in the right spots on the bus or in the, in the business. And so it's my personal opinion that you need to have somebody that's at the wheel, that is uh, very passionate about what they do, lead their people, and also push their people in some cases beyond what they are comfortable with. Because the people that are really, really good on the shop floor as uh, you know, machine operators, they're asked to do the same thing over and over again in many cases, particularly in some of the more technical roles. But you need people that can do that. And you know, sometimes they get uncomfortable when I'm asking, well, can we figure out how we can do it better, faster, smarter? And that makes them uncomfortable. And they express that to me from time to time. And I say, well, listen, the day that I'm not asking you to figure out how we can do it better, faster, smarter is a day you ought to be worried because that's when the business starts to decline. Or that may be right before you, you know, you're asked to get out of there. Yeah. If you're not down there pushing somebody. Yeah. You were telling me a while back when you first started in the management role, you looked for people that reminded you of yourself. Would you say that's true? Yes. And uh, uh, what I've discovered through my education and the predictive index tool is that uh, we all think that people think the way we do. And so that you have to step back and recognize that no, we're not, we don't all think the same. We don't all hear the same, regardless of, you know, what somebody says, people hear it different ways. You know, I was looking for, particularly in the high school kids uh, in the technical college and college itself, some of the best and the brightest is what I was really searching for. And Which makes sense. Yeah. That's it. That's, you know, let's aim high. But a lot of those people coming out of school, they want to go explore the big world and they don't want to stick around in Elkhorn, Wisconsin. Uh, they want to go out and see what the big world has to offer. Which is what you did. Which is what I did. And ultimately, we need we needed to modify that strategy and go with a, a more stratified approach. Let's, let's look for those individuals that uh, want to go right from high school into the workforce, uh, have good aptitude, but just want to get after it. Mm -hmm. uh, we also looked at those from the technical college path, uh, as well as the four-year university. And there's we've, we've got spots for all those people in the building. Yeah. And we've got a, a heck of a training program. We've got a uh, Stefan Brusky uh, that's joined us now as our, our third uh, education and training director. And he's doing a fantastic job helping these uh, young adults you know, witness for themselves what careers can look like in manufacturing today. Interesting. And when you hire somebody, you prefer for them to be kind of raw for you to to shape into how you guys want it to turn out as opposed to hiring some experienced gun from somewhere else? Well, there's, there's both sides of that. Uh, it's, it's good that we can train them in the way that we do things. And, and culture is very important to us. And so uh, if somebody's come from a different organization, they may be accustomed to a certain way of doing it, the culture and within that group. We're about collaboration. Check your ego at the door. 
you know, my father is still with us at 83 years. Actually, his birthday today. He's 83 today. Happy birthday, Dad. Wow. Uh, there was a time when we first moved into our new building in 2000. Probably the first 10 years, he ran the Zamboni at 2 o'clock in the morning cleaning the floors. So there was a guy who owned the company and said, by God, no one's going to clean better than I will. I'm going to do it and make sure that we've got this great looking shop. And finally got somebody else that wanted to come in at that hour and uh, clean the floors. So thank God. <laughs> okay. Let's rewind a little bit because now if somebody was listening to this and didn't know you, they would assume family business, your father started the shop, you grew into it, et cetera. And that is not the case. So let's rewind a little bit. So you are in finance, you're living the fast paced life, starting a family, you're in London. Give me the brief play by play. What happened after that? Sure. I had just moved my family to London, working for Bank of America, uh, running their clearing operations in Singapore, London, Paris, and Chicago. I'd only been there a couple of months. I got a call from home. Uh, Mom had had a seizure. And then it led to, well, let's find out why she had a seizure. And so they went and did a, a biopsy in her brain and discovered she had a glioblastoma. That was a, a life-changing moment for the family. And uh, I was told, uh, we got it, we got it, we got it, you know, uh, surgery, radiation, chemo, all that stuff. And uh, by the time fall rolled around, uh, mom wasn't doing well. In fact, I got a phone call on a Friday night saying, you better get your butt home because we don't know if mom's going to make it the weekend. So I scrambled back. How did that make you feel? I mean, obviously, you're going to you're going to feel like crap because of what's going on with your mom. How, how did that feel selfishly, though, as far as your own ambitions? You know, uh, I, I was able to check those ambitions because, uh, you know, family's important. And, uh, you know, as you know, you've got one mom and dad and you've got a finite amount of time with them. Um, and so while I was having a, a great time uh, working long hours, enjoying what I was doing, it was important that I, you know, get back for to find out what I could do to help. You know, my dad was going to take care of mom and he needed somebody to take care of a, the business that he had that it was, it was only seven years into it for him. And so uh, I, I determined that I needed to leave the bank, told him, listen, I really enjoy it, but I've got to go. And I moved back to uh, Southeast Wisconsin to step into a manufacturing building. An FYI to our thousands of listeners out there. We're always looking for new show sponsors, new ideas for episodes, and feedback. Obviously, positive feedback is nice, but if you have some constructive criticism, it's also really good. Feel free to send emails to the contact info on todaysmachiningworld.com. If they're interesting, maybe I'll read some on the air. And you were like early 30s. I was 31 at that point. 31. God. Yeah. And you, it was so, you picture the shop, it's kind of dark, dank, you know, OSHA not having a good time there, um, or you're not having a good time with OSHA. And you have these Swiss machines, but CAM Swiss machines, correct? Yeah, yeah. 1995, uh, uh, you know, some people were starting to transition into CNC Swiss, but we had nothing but mechanical machines and a large uh, secondary department to do all the things that we couldn't complete on the primary. Okay. And so it was It was uh, about 15,000 square feet and it looked uh, vintage. What was the first thing you did? I mean, okay, so you looked at the balance sheet and you're coming in from, you know, a finance business world. It's a totally different environment. What was the first thing you did? As I, as I looked at the customer base, I could see that we had some really good, 
you know, clients in, in the portfolio. And uh, uh, it's spelled opportunity for me. Mm-hmm. If, if we've got a good group of people and there's a lot more work to be had from them, by God, let's figure out how we go and, uh, you know, grab more of it and grow the business. Because, uh, you know, I think at that point in time, we were doing, you know, maybe $2 million worth in, in sales a year. Uh, obviously, that was 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Yeah. But you know, I knew that if, if we were going to be successful, we needed to you know, get some critical mass. And uh, that meant uh, we needed to grow this thing and uh, be able to do, do more things for, uh, for the clients and do more things for our, our team members. What mainly were you guys making back then? Did a lot of stuff in the electrical area, you know, connector pins for wire harnesses and, and that lot. And a you know, great application for the Swiss machines. Mm-hmm. A lot of, lot of brass, higher volume. It works well. I mean, it's a different, and I'm an outsider in both. I've never worked in finance. I know people that have and have read about it. I have intimate connections with people like you that work in a shop, but I, you know, I've never made parts, you know, sold parts. Coming in from that other background, did you feel like one had more meaning than the other to you, more purpose than the other to you? Or was it just like, I like business. I like creating something, creating value. This is another good entrepreneurial thing. I mean, you went, well, for one, you went from working for Bank of America to becoming an entrepreneur. Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed what I did. Uh, let's call it the first chapter, uh, working it uh, in the commodity futures arena. Uh, I enjoyed it. I believe I was good at it. That shows with what I was able to do in the time that I was there. But in terms of meaning, I, I really... You know, I spent 25 years in manufacturing that right now. And I remember in the early 2000s, we had a lot of our clients coming to us and saying, hey, we're moving all this stuff to low-cost countries, LCCs, as they called it. You know, they would then say, you can either be part of our uh, supply chain going forward or not. And with uh, what we're looking for you to do is set up an operation in these LCCs or partner with people in LCCs. And uh, you can make sure that we get this product at a lower cost. And if the boat sinks, you've got the capacity to make the product here for a short period of time. But we need to drive costs out of this. It was a, a bitter time for me because I saw a lot of these Fortune 500 companies that were completely decimating their supply chain in the name of lower costs selling out the American businesses for Wall Street profits. That was when we said, you know what, we need to move up market. You know, the connector pin work was was good for us, but we need to get into some more value, you know, more highly engineered products to stay away from this commodity rat race because right. it's, it's, right. it's just miserable. And so uh, I found a lot greater purpose trying to create great American jobs in manufacturing, family sustaining and rewarding careers that people should be proud of. Let's go into a few other things. Um, I want to learn about the company a little more. So yeah, you got out of the commodity business and now you make, you do some medical, you do watch and you do musical instruments. Well, the musical instruments is a small portion of it, but it's uh, kind of fun. Uh, uh, we make uh, uh, screws and arbors that go into oboes, bassoons, uh, piccolos. I was at the client in uh, South Whitley, Indiana, by the name of Fox Products. And I get to listen to one of the tuners go through and play a new uh, bassoon. And uh, I'm not a guy with any, a musical bone in my body, but I can certainly appreciate the talent that it takes uh, not only to make it, uh, the instrument, but also to play it. And uh, it was really cool to listen to the firsthand. But our primary markets are, are the medical, the dental, 
in the aerospace markets. Does it make it more fun to add in something like that or you do it just for diversification? Why do that? I mean, it, if, if it's only like a small percentage. Uh, this client goes back to uh, the first year that the company was founded in 1982. So we're running a lot of the same parts. Obo and Bassoon technology does not change uh, that much. Oh, so the company has been doing this for a while. This isn't yeah. like... Uh, no, this is, this is not something where I went out and targeted and said, you know, let me go make bassoon parts. It's a pretty small market, but it's it's been fun. And, and that's the other thing that is really rewarding for me is on any given day, it's a, it's a phone call, it's an email, it's what have you. There's a new opportunity that's presented and I get to learn about so many different industries. Uh, it's, it's really fun. What is one of the first things you think of when you hear the word happiness, either personally or business? Well, happiness, it's uh, being successful and, you know, being in control of your destiny and control of your destiny probably is the main thing there. And that's why I, I really enjoy being in the position that I am and that I don't have shareholders other than my family and my team members to report back to. I don't have Wall Street uh, breathing down my neck for earnings uh, this week or this uh, quarter. Uh, and it allows us to make some long-term investments. Uh, and we may sacrifice short-term gains for much larger, longer-term gains. Where do you see the most growth in the business going forward? Well, again, it's it's in the you know we got to continually move up market in the uh, on the complexity mm. as they try to commoditize the next level of product. We've got to stay out in front of that, and so uh, we make substantial investments in people and technology to keep us on the on the cutting edge. There, my team does some extraordinary things, and uh, sometimes you know they don't even know that they can do it. You know, I've got to say, listen, I know you can do it. I know you can. And they're going, oh my god, this guy's crazy. And, you know, we're doing some deep hole drilling in our Swiss machines with high pressure coolant systems and uh, coolant fed drills running 2000 PSI. That's just outstanding. Uh, some of the high temperature, high strength alloys that we're doing for subsea umbilical connections. Amazing stuff. Again, it, it, it's fun. So you have mainly, we'll just talk about the Swiss machines. So you have Sugamis, you have stars and you have Tornos, yep. The Cam Tornos machines. And obviously, all these brands are pretty good. They make all kinds of different models. But for you, what are the strengths of your Sugamis, your Stars, and your Cam machines? First, start with the Cam machines. Why are you still using Cam machines right now? I was told a number of years ago by a pretty smart guy that I was blessed to be around and mentored by, but there is no bad machine tool, really. There's just bad applications of the machine tool. And so the Swiss machine is a brilliant piece of engineering that goes back to the 1870s. And I've toured a number of, of high-end shops in Switzerland. There's also still running the exact same old technology we are, uh, making watch screws by the, the millions. But the CAM machine is a, a great solution for some of the lower complexity, yet tight tolerance parts. Mm -hmm. And again, the Swiss machine, uh, longer uh, skinnier parts, tight tolerance, brilliant solution for it. But if you've got a super complex part, you know, something like this. Make sure to describe it to the people that are just listening to it as well. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. So this is a aerospace fuel connection piece that has about 98 different features on the print. What, what machine was that made on? This is on our uh, Miano machines, uh, triple turret machines. So, okay. Uh, I'll get to the Swiss in a second. I'm sorry about that. 
No, no, I, I could see there was so many things going on with that. Yeah, but I'm not going to make this on a Tornos cam machine. That's where I was going with this. I'm not going to make this on a Tornos cam machine, but yet we can drop this in a single operation on the Miano triple turret machine. Yeah. Here is a smaller Swiss cam part that, you know, it's got some fine finishes and some tight tolerances, a couple different hole sizes drilled in the end. What's the diameter of it? I think it starts out a quarter inch, quarter inch diameter. Okay. So fairly small and we'll run part sizes down to 40 thousandths or so on the cam machines. And the biggest ones we have uh, today uh, go to one half inch. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense to do that rather than just buy some really simple CNCs or, you know, because those can have other problems, you know. Yeah. Again, no bad machine tools, just bad applications. And so uh, we started out as a Hanwha shop uh, in 2000. We first got into it then it migrated over to the Sagami line. And then we complemented the Sagami platform with uh, the stars in the last couple of years. And, and, and both the, Sagamis and the Stars, great machines. Uh, we've got great support from both of the uh, distribution teams behind them. And that's a, that's a big part of it as well. Uh, you can buy a great machine if you don't have the support when you need it. It's readily available. doesn't do you much good. Right. So that's what, that's half of what it's about, just having good support. Good support. Or maybe more than half. Yeah. If, you, if the green light's not on, you're not making money. You know, we've talked to you in the past, you know, because Graf Pinkert, we've do some business brokering, M&A, et cetera. Sometimes we know shops for sale. Do you have ambition to buy another shop someday? Or it sounds like you're constantly looking to grow one way or another. Absolutely. You know, we're right now we're focusing on the organic growth and also building out uh, the management team. We've added a, a couple of really solid people to the team this past couple of years. Excited about that. And with that, it gives us a much stronger foundation to get more aggressive in the in the M&A space. And uh, I'm definitely out there looking. I have been for the last couple of years, had a number of conversations, but we haven't found the right situation. Yeah. What is the right fit? Somebody not doing automotive, I assume. Probably not doing automotive, but somebody that's looking to monetize their life work in many cases, uh, they may not have a succession plan in place. Uh, and their exit strategy is, you know, sell out to somebody else. I prefer to some, find uh, another organization, preferably Midwest. Mm-hmm. The, the Midwest work ethic is, is well known and regarded. And somebody doing turning? Turning, yeah. You know, we want to have some synergistic stuff and, you know, maybe reach uh, a little bit beyond our comfort zone and find something that's complementary, something that we're not in right now with a, a milling house where we can provide a broader array of solutions to our, our client base. What's the thing that annoys you most about running a machining company? Not that not everyone sees the world uh, as I do, or, or many <laughs> of us see. And, uh, if I'm going to do something, I want to do it uh, to the very best level that I can. And I've always told my kids, I don't care if you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, or a garbage truck driver. You better be the best gosh darn garbage truck driver there is. Yeah. Not everyone in this world enjoys coming to work every day and giving it their very best. And uh, they forfeit a lot of opportunity with that. And they oftentimes... Uh, you know, look at to blame others for their, their situation. And I look at it, you know what, it's all about getting up every day and going in there with a positive attitude and that you're going to do the very best uh, that you can and, and you'll be rewarded for it. Nice. So uh, missed opportunities. That's probably what troubles me the most. Thank you so much for being on the show. 
Fantastic. And I appreciate the opportunity, Noah. I really do. Uh, trying to get the information out, uh, raise awareness of manufacturing careers is something that I'm very passionate about. And obviously, it's uh, something that you and your family are passionate about as well. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and review. And don't forget to tell your friends. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch videos of extended interviews. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is William Steffi. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. 